Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. Welcome to Footwork. Now, we are lucky. I mean, we're kind of like the next generation of this who's learning from guys like you who can kind of point out how to get through in the international with agents, with scouts, with CVs, with all of this. So like, can you, can you just touch on that? Just being completely alone, just thrown into the deep end with the wolves. Like, what was that like? I think that's the main thing is being okay, but being alone and being okay by struggling. And I learned to do that. And I, you know, I just married to the game. It's kind of like, you know, those songs they say, you know, the rap songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it's true. Like I was just married to the game and this is what I want. I didn't feel alone. So I had that ball and I was gonna, everything was with that ball, you know? And I think a lot mm -hmm. of guys, don't like to be uncomfortable. And I think all those years prepped me for now. I mean, I moved my whole life to another country. I had an amazing life back home with a business that was thriving. And I was like, this doesn't make me happy. I want to do what makes me happy. And I think that's what success is, is really chasing what you love. And you're gonna be alone on that journey. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think they want that, but when it actually happens, they're like, shit. Like, I remember is like how, you know, yes, it's money, but, like, what are you risking for this? You're going up against guys that will put down to their last cent to get a trial, to get a look. You know, it's, it's so different. People think about money and that's a sacrifice. Like, yeah. my business partner tells me all the time, because something like, you know, like, we've had money. We've grown a company. It doesn't make me happy. It comes, it goes. Like, we're take, we're, what makes me successful, I think, and made us successful as a company is – I just, I'm happy to be on the field with a whistle mm -hmm. and players. And I think when I, when you do that, the money and everything comes. 100%. I think players do what you love. the bank account. Now if, there, if there, if, I mean, we've talked about it in verbatim on the podcast, but if there's one thing that you can, I can give advice to any player out there is you forget about the money. If, if you're focused on the money from the beginning, you're, it's not going to work. Mm. And that's the thing is like, I don't remember one time going through the struggles where I was like, I need to make this much money. Right. I was just like, fuck, right. get me on a team that oh, if I can pay for housing, oh, thank God. And like, it led to making a lot of money a year, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and everyone's first question, like I get these top college guys that didn't get drafted, just went to a top D1. I speak to them about coming out and they're like, well, how much do you think I can get paid if I make it in second division in Sweden? I'm just like, all right, my man, wishing you the best. We'll talk soon. I literally sometimes, <laughs> I literally say that. I'm like, listen, you turn me off. I wish you the best of luck. Huh? And they can't understand it. And I don't have time no. to explain it. And you can't, like, you just can't explain to people. Why would you, you know, for example, why would you go play overseas and make $200 a month? I love it. Why, why would you do that? Why, why would you not stay home and you can make 4,000, 5,000 a month? Why would you go there and make $200 a month? And the experience isn't valuable. And I'm growing at a player at such a faster rate. How I always mentioned it to people when I first started, I think of myself as a business. I'm growing myself as a business. My business is larger than it was four years ago. So my intrinsic value is now worth more. Maybe one day I'm going to get to a point where a club is willing to pay a lot of money for me. And that never would have happened if I said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to work a job and I'll play soccer on the side and I'll play, you know, MPSL, PDL, maybe USL two and make 500, a thousand a month. Yeah, it's going to work out, but no. And what happens if I don't make, make it to a team that pays me a hundred thousand, you know, a month, 
Well, guess what? This experience is invaluable. It's priceless. Sean, you, I mean, Sean, that's, you just dropped such a gem. I mean, seriously, like, I hope people really understand that and they, they won't, but like you said, you're your own business, right? So let's say you, you, you're creating experiences for yourself and knowledge and, and, and which is going to help you make more money. But also if you, like you just said, if you don't make more money, you, your business was all these, you invested in yourself, which is the business right. to gain all this knowledge. So the next thing mm -hmm. you're going to do is mm -hmm. do that. Exactly. I hope they hear it's simple to listen to, but it's hard to feel. Well, Burns, yeah. we're, we don't want to take too much of your time, so we'll get no. we'll get into it, okay? I'm ready. I got my shin guards on. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. growing up in in South Africa, that's you were in peak apartheid time, right? Correct. So, so what um, was that like to combine that with, with the football teams? Were you playing with only, with only white children growing up and then in the professional, or was it, did it change? So growing up, all my life that I lived there, um, society was segregated. So mm. we lived completely separate to the minorities. Um, we didn't go to school with them. They didn't live in our communities, in our areas. They couldn't ride our buses, use our public toilets. I mean, when I think back of it now, it's just insane. And, you know, just being a young person, being born and raised there, that was what you knew. And, uh, you know, sport was actually a huge part of breaking down apartheid. And uh. soccer was the, because soccer was the sport of the minorities, of the blacks, um, that was the first sport in South Africa to be integrated. So wow. as I was coming up, the leagues amalgamated and joined, and we started having, you know, minority players playing on the white teams and white players going in playing on some of the minority teams. Um, and it was really crazy because, you know, I played for two majority white clubs, and we would go into Soweto, which is a township, you know, where my gosh, you know, 6 million um, minorities lived. And we would go in and play at a stadium with 50, 60,000 wow. all, all Africans in the stand. And, you know, there was, you know, 15 white soccer players and the other team were mainly, mainly black with a couple of white guys. And that was the league. Mm. So we would, we would go on road trips. We'd, you know, fly down to Cape Town and fly down to, um, you know, Durban and play games. And um, my first year, the African players on our team couldn't stay in our hotels. I mean, it's just mind-boggling to think about it. And then eventually, eventually that all changed and, you know, we would stay in the international hotels. But, yeah, really crazy. Um, so that helped really break down the apartheid, you know, and it, um, the sports in South Africa. And then I'd left by the time, you know, Nelson Mandela was let out of jail and the part mm. I'd crumbled and they have the society they have today. Yeah, like Foursquare, the app was about like getting people together to have good times at bars and restaurants and physical spaces. Like how do you, how do you use technology to bring people together? And mm. that's kind of what Stockade is. Like Stockade is just like, yeah, yeah there, there's guys running around the, on the field scoring goals and we're playing in this league, right? But it's like, you're bringing the community together. You're bringing yeah. a thousand people from the community that may not know each other, like bringing them together to like cheer on the squad cheer on the community and and that's that's really what it is and so when i talk to other entrepreneurs outside of um uh you know like people doing soccer stuff to get them to focus like listen it's not just about the 90 minutes on the field it's about the like how do you create an environment where where you know fans want to come because this is the most fun that they can have in a two-hour spin right on the weekend and it is they too. Their, they want to bring their family. They want to bring their kids, right? That's like yeah. a, it's 
it's, a, it's just a different way of, of thinking about it, but it's a, an important way of thinking about it. Like, what are some of the things that you think are very important in creating uh, a strong fan base? I, I think that the transparency, like the transparency that our club has with the people is, is a major is a major piece like we're open we're honest they know where you know they know that it's real like those open and honest conversations that we have with the with the community really keeps them intertwined into the soul of our team Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like small clubs that start and they and they try to feel bigger than they are like oh we have a front office and a president and such and such and i always feel like we we take the other approach like we you know, like we go to Keegan's and we sell t-shirts out of the, a Tupperware container. And they're like, you're, you're the chairman of the club. I'm like, yeah. And I'm also the chief t-shirt folder. That's how this operation is. Run. <laughs> I take both. I take both yeah. very seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I remember, I remember just being so distracted by just like, we have a game. Now there's people playing. Okay. What's going on? The rest boy, three minutes in the game, the ref blows a whistle for something. And the, the crowd goes wild and everyone turns around. And they're like, what? It's like, oh my God. When did they get it? Yeah. It filled up so quick you didn't even realize. But the, at the end of the game, at the end of the game, like unexpectedly, just all the kids ran down to the fence, right? Oh, and um, they all wanted autographs. And like, nobody expected that. Nobody knew what to do. You know, Jamal, who is the, the captain, you know, took everyone together and was like, all right, it's great. Look at this crowd came out to support us. Here's what we're doing. Nobody goes inside until every single kid gets something signed. And, you know, Jamal's like, Dennis, he got pens. I'm like, I have one in my pocket. I have a Sharpie in my car, right? So we had like three pens for 800 kids and we just stayed outside for like an hour. And, and I, that, that is the essence of like yeah. what, what the club is, right? Yeah. It's like, right. We, are, we are here to serve the community, inspire the kids, give people a good time, be, like be role models, be something people can aspire to. And parents will stop me and they'll be like, you know, thank you so much for bringing this to town. Like my, all my kids wanna do is play soccer now. We, 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 but I think also part of this too, like you're, so the, the typical medical school entrance, like for me, for example, I would have finished my bachelor's at 21 or 22 try to get into med school at 23, right? But I have no experience, right? You spent time working with the indigenous people in Australia, spent mm-hmm. time in Mongolia with these people, spent time in Kenya for three years. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you spent time in, how, what's that other African country? Mal- Malawi. In Malawi as well. Malawi. Yeah. You're coming into medical school with experience that is, it's, it's, it's priceless. And I feel that that, that is worth so much more than doing it at an early age when you probably were, wouldn't have been focused. Like you said, uni wasn't your thing. You just kept your big toe kind of in that industry, but you're really more into music. And now I don't think it's a coincidence that you're doing your dream, what you're loving, what your, your, your passion was always for. And also you release an album and now that's getting the best reviews. You're doing both at the same time and they happen to both be at the best level you've ever done. I don't think it's just a coincidence because now you can do music as a passion, but this is not your career. This is, you just love music, right? So you can do that. And this is your, this is what you're really passionate about, but you also are passionate about this medical career. And this is, this is something that is really fulfilling for you. Clearly you've worked with just humanity for quite some time now in many different countries. I feel like there's a, there's a tie between these that you happen to just put this album out while you're in medical school and you're, you're getting the best reviews you've ever had, you know? 
Yeah, when you put it that way, it is, <laughs> again, serendipitous, um, some kind of synchronicity that it's all kind of... Yeah, and I'm in the best, best um, shape that I've been in, you know. Um, the other day, I ran the, the farthest that I've... Yeah, I, I'm in a good spot, actually. You know, it's taken a coming. while. It's momentum, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. You just keep... And you've... You just kind of keep putting the little challenges in front of yourself and you know it does take a while to build up to that it hasn't been easy and I've wanted to do this for a while so yeah if there's a lesson it's kind of like you know just because you fail once or twice you know doesn't 10 times doesn't mean it can't happen Mm. um you just got to keep keep trying at it um but yeah it's yeah when (laughs) you've you've summed it up in a way that I haven't really thought about it because I've just been playing, you know, PlayStation waiting for you to call me. So I've been sit- <laughs> sitting on my ass here doing nothing. Um, <laughs> feeling like a lazy ass. Um, yeah, it's, it's a... Because, it I mean, you know, I'm turning 40 next year. I was feeling a bit shit about it. But now I'm actually feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> you also touched on um, the highs and the lows of the professional game. Um, so how do you stay mentally ready? Just like dealing with that. Like, um, I know you mentioned to me one time there was, um, you know, you play on a field that has like wood chips and then like you're playing in a cup final and you're playing against like, you know, you played against Newcastle and, uh, in a friendly, like the highs and the lows of the professional game. There's a huge area in between. So how do you deal with that mentally? Uh, geez, I don't know. It's like, I, I think mentally, <laughs> mentally, I'm just ready for all the, the lows uh-huh, and I just, uh-huh. eyes are awesome. So like, you just have mm. to, you have to just go in, when you're going into it, you have to know, like, there's going to be times when you're going to be playing on a ship pitch in Madison with wood chips on it and like a back turf, with 17 different lines on it. But the other team's playing on that same field. Yeah. And then, the, like I said to you, like the next week or the week before that we were playing in David Beckham's new stadium. Yeah, and just for instance, for us, and like, the same thing goes with training. Like, like one like with Darmstadt, I was training with a guy that would be out like before training, he'd smoke a cigarette, and then like that off season, I was training with David Villa in like New York City trainings. Like, it's just like vast changes. But I think like when you have the lows, you can appreciate like all the cool stuff that can mm-hmm. can come with it, like all the friendlies or like guys you get to train with, and like all the cool names you get to drop on oh, podcast. Yeah. Or like <laughs> the podcast, yeah, yeah. So like, I think just you have to just be like, I, I love the game, and I love yeah. getting to travel. I love, get love to getting to do all this. So you're gonna have to accept. There's gonna be some times where it's gonna be not as glamorous as you might think, but mm-hmm. that's why I think it's it all comes down to like, do you love the grind of playing? Like, hundred yeah, percent. If you love it, then you can do this for a long time. If you're if you're decent enough, you don't even have to be great. You can just be pretty good. You can find mm-hmm. team. Yeah, you can find teams, and but if you don't love that grind, then go be yeah. work JP Morgan or wherever you're going to work. Yeah, yeah, we're all about the process. <laughs> Man, the recording the podcast, you got to love yeah. it. And then yeah. like he finally turns up and he brings us all in, and he's like, "Guys, like I, I hate to tell you this, but like." We're suspending like operations until further notice. Oh man, 
It's like, I, mean, I know it was a bad loss, but goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, talk about being, like, at an all-time high, like, playing in front of, like, 8,000 people at Detroit City, and then, like, two weeks later, you're at – I was at the biggest low I've ever been, like, in my career. And this is, like – this is right after two contracts that you, 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 you pressed through and, like, made the best out of, and then yeah. you finally, like, a full-time professional yeah. playing, and you said the best level you had so far, and it just gets taken away from you. Yeah, something that I can't control. Like that sucked. Like that was, that was brutal, man. Like that literally, that actually like hurt in my stomach. Like driving back, I felt like just in such a limbo. I was like telling myself, like, man, I should have just stayed in Australia and just worked and made <laughs> made money and like. But and then so then it was like we got told we're still gonna train and stuff, and then like obviously we didn't train. Like we were supposed <laughs> to get paid that Friday, we didn't get paid that Friday, and it's like, oh my god, like. Are you still so waiting for the? Are you still waiting for that Friday? <laughs> Not, actually they do owe me some money but they owe me one they owe me one i got paid like twice a month they owe me one one check still wow okay yeah so then um yeah then we met with the league and everything and we got like uh was it a compensation package or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The and then um from there so that's that was like two weeks later so i was literally living in jersey slash philly like just hanging out and like going for runs like juggling the ball off the wall like kind of wondering like what is going on <laughs> what is life yeah like didn't know what to do and like the transfer window was like closed like usl rosters were frozen so it was like and then i just kind of i signed my release and i just i messaged the michigan stars on instagram again i get lucky and they they give me their number i call them and the guy the owner's like well can you come tomorrow and i remember it was like at like nine o'clock at night and i'm like i'm like yeah like i'm not doing anything <laughs> like I'm so, waiting to go somewhere. So at nine o'clock, you you go from Philly to Michigan. Yeah, so I I pack. I we have a f- meeting with the Fury the next day, and like they try to convince me to stay because like they're gonna fix everything, blah blah blah. And I'm like, honestly, man, like I need to go play. Like I was like, see ya. I literally met with them at like ten in the morning, and I drove, went home, finished packing. I left my house there at noon, and I got to Michigan at like eleven thirty at night. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah man that's crazy. crazy man talk yeah. i mean like seriously though like you're just talk about being able to change your environment on the fly man. yeah man, i remember calling my parents and they were like are you sure you want to go like you don't even know anything and i'm like well what else am i gonna do like i need to play pat looks around like yeah, i'm not doing anything <laughs> yeah, literally that's how i that's literally how i was like i was like yeah sure man i'll, I'll come tomorrow <laughs> like yeah, like you're not halfway across the country, but yeah, why not? Like you're going to a buddy's house. Like yeah, I'll come yeah. through. Where are you, Michigan? <laughs> yeah, just send me the address. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was funny because as I was driving the Michigan Stars, Detroit City called me because they found out we folded and everything, and they wanted me to come in. So I actually came to Michigan Stars first, and this is kind of where it goes in with like being your own agent. Is you know, we were talking like numbers and stuff because they were joining NISA in the spring. They were playing NPSL Members Cup right now, mm-hmm. which is technically still amateur, but we were still like talking contract and stuff. And I and I just – I was here for a day, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go check out Detroit City first. So I went there and like pretty much had like a one-day trial, and like I did well, and they were like, yeah, well, like we want you to play with us for the rest of the season. So they go to register me, and I find out because I'm going from professional to amateur, I can't, I can't play in a game for 30 days. 30 days. There it is. 30 days, man. 
that was the roughest month, I think, just all in all from Philly being broke to that was like the absolute, like, I think the lowest point I'll probably ever get to my career. I mean, you know, no. you can be a bit naive sometimes at 17, 18, thinking, well, you know, not that you know it all, but yeah, I'm ready for this now. And, you know, mm -hmm. I just took a bit, of, I took a bit of extra time um, to keep working in grassroots. Uh, yes, I was coaching, you know, I was doing little soccer schools here for, you know, working for my grassroots club, my local club. And I felt that um, I was ready at that age. And it wasn't until 21, 22, until I did my UEFA B license, um, which still at that age to, the, to even to start the UEFA B license, but it's quite early as a coach. 26, I think 26, 27 before I completed the UEFA A license. And still now I'm actively seeking to get onto the UEFA Pro license at 34. And you know, I've had conversations with the FA and it's very, very competitive to get onto the UEFA Pro license. There's only 18 spaces per year. Wow. There's only one course run a year. Um, so it's, and I, I, even, I even got to the last stage two years ago. I got to the, uh, the last 40 for the, uh, the Pro License Application Centre and I walked in the room and I'm up against John Terry. You know, uh, and, and you know, you've, you, wow. you're looking around the room thinking I'm, I'm the only non-playing ex-professional in the room and Unfortunately, I didn't make that make the last 18 for that particular course, but the experience gained and just having the ability to, to speak to people like John Terry and, right. and others that was, was, a, was a huge experience. So, yeah, I would say you can't saturate yourself with enough football. You know, you've got to be fanatical about it if you want to get to that. And that's the same for a player. You guys will know as players as well. You know, if you, if you don't do the right things and you don't, you don't make yourself fanatical about your playing career, you know, you're only going to get to a certain level. And I'm a yeah. firm believer in the adage, if you always do what you've always done, then you'll always get what you've always got, you know. Um, and that's, that's one, of the, one, of the, one of the sayings which I say to myself most days, you know, how can yeah. you push yourself on a little bit more each day? Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I mean, I, I, I'm very interested in, in, in England, especially just being the prestigious footballing country and coaching country that it is. Is it, yeah. does it put you at that big of a disadvantage not having a playing career whether it's a John Terry level or you know a league one league two even in these levels does it does it put you at a significant disadvantage in terms of gaining employment yeah. or gaining that a license pro license yeah, I mean? and again it's a really good question um, and I'm under no illusions and I'll be totally honest I know my lack of a professional playing background could be ultimately what what stops me getting some uh, some of the higher jobs um, and now, as now you're a coach now, do you have you found maybe a newfound respect for other coaches, or maybe when you were growing up, you didn't realize how much went into it? Absolutely, you know, I'm glad you said that, and I think that the where I've noticed that the most has been uh, has been with my stockade experience, because uh, through the first three years of playing, it was really I was like I said, I, I was at the end of my soccer legs and I was just loving every minute of being able to be a part of a, you know, a competitive team like that. So my mindset showing up to to train or for games when I when I was playing was really just about having fun. Like I, I was just looking to compete against these young dudes that they were bringing in. And I was just having fun with it. It was like, you know, I get to play, I get to train twice a week. I get a game on the weekend. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do this. So it was just like, hey, I'm going to show up and go as hard as I can, you know, and just run until the wheels fall off. Um, and that's that was pretty much, you know, my mindset with that. Uh, now, with the coaching aspect of it, uh, the the preparation of everything that goes into it, the the mental the mental fatigue uh, in between training sessions, in between games, is something that I um, 
I was not totally ready for or just maybe didn't totally expect. I think I knew I would have it on some level, but um, it, it was tough to shut off my brain. You know, there were many times uh, in that first season, uh, 2019, where, you know, I'd get home from a training session or get home from a game and um, my wife would kind of just look at me and just be like, hello, like, are you, are you here? Are you with us? <laughs> and I was mentally just like checked out somewhere, you know, thinking about thinking about the personnel decisions that we made, thinking about the training the night before, how we can, you know, make sure that we're getting it, you know, to the top level that we want. So uh, without a doubt, the, the mental the mental component to coaching, uh, the preparation that goes into it, um, I can say that I probably did overlook it a little bit. And uh, and we wanted to be successful. You know, that was the other thing is that as a player, I knew that I had quality players that were going to be coming in. So I, I felt like the pieces were there and it was going to be up to me and the staff, you know, to get these guys to get these guys to buy in um, and to, you know, get us to a championship level. Um and I thought I thought for the most part, we were able to do that. You know, we had a pretty good season. Um, I had a great coaching staff, which I think was able to uh, which was able to help me work through some of these mental things that I was struggling with. Um, but, yeah, the mental side of it was a uh, was definitely a challenge for sure. Then, I mean, what are my takes about you with COVID? I've been nothing but kind to you. I, I understand. So how is I, well, I, Sean, I think I think you need to pull up a picture of Ashley Barnes, too. Hey, oh, yeah. wait, hey, that's weird. Because I already had it prepared. <laughs> Woo! My boy, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Turn your Uncanny. head to the side. Uncanny. Turn your head, turn your to, head to the side and look Mouth puzzled. Mouth open a little bit. Look puzzled. Mouth open. Yeah, that side, yeah. Yeah, you're <laughs> yeah, right there. Oh, man. Spot on. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> who, uh, so who originally made that call that it was? Wait, Sean, go to the side again. Was it me or was it Wit? Who? Look at it, Meg. I had the screenshot that. I don't know who made that call originally. I don't know who it was. Who was the original? I don't know. Really? Not not even trying to take credit for it, but it was an amazing call. It wasn't me. That's all I know. I mean, mean, it had to be you, (laughs) Wags. Well, this is more for Brad because he's the only one that knows my skill set. But I was watching today. Oh, now I got to talk about your skill set. Well, no, if I could replace anybody, I could replace Gary Cahill right now. Gary Cahill okay, was first of all. His hold on, biceps. hold on. Wait, wait. Gary Cahill, no. other than other than a putrid substitution of Mitrovich today, Gary Cahill was man of the match. I mean, did you guys what? watch that? Yeah. And you don't think that that could come in and do a man of the match performance? If yes. he doesn't think that I could be just the poorest, poorest man's Thomas Suchek or Calvin Phil, like I don't know, he can't. Thomas Suchek. Well, I said the poorest, the poorest man, the poorest. The version. poorest Tom Suchek. Okay. Pre, I mean, pre uh, six goals in what eight games? That was just like homeless, like homeless, like yeah. how yeah. how poor. <laughs> so I guess we'll go with like uh, Laney. Like, yeah. Okay. Anyways. Um, Shooters no, got to shoot. You're not gay, Kate. <laughs> well, the biggest thing is there's a million different types of leaders, and not no one leader, no one way of leading people is is the wrong way or the right way. And like the mm. my biggest challenge, and you guys would face the exact same thing, is that we're used to. So yeah, captains of teams, captains of this. You're used to being a leader, like a lead, a captain being a leader of a team. So the easiest way that you'd be a leader in sports is by example, you know, so 
if you well, you do sprints, you'd be the first. If you're the captain, you should be the first every single time. There's no reason for you not to be. If you're like, you should be, you should be basically the best at every single thing, or at least try to be. As at least that's what I always took it as when I was growing up. And then when you start going into military, there's so many different aspects. And now you're meeting people, especially when I got to King's Point, you're meeting people who are not like you, who are not athletes. And so now it's like, how do you relate to them and lead them? And so you kind of, you just have to, there's obviously a goal in mind. And then you just have to relate to every single type of person you meet. You can't just, you can't be close-minded to just like, oh, I'm only going to hang out with the athletes or I'm only going to, no, learn about the guy. My roommate, freshman year, he was homeschooled from Wisconsin, homeschooled his entire life, never played a sport in his life, painted soldiers every single day. And you have to learn how to talk with him, how to lead him and get him motivated to do something. How do you get a guy who's never run a mile to run a mile and like push himself to run that mile? Like that's, that's the best part about, and that's why the opportunity I was given at King's Point I was lucky for, because you meet all sorts of people as, as similar as they are to you, because they serve, like they signed up for the service Academy. They're really, they're really very different than Mm. every, no person was the same. Mm. And I like uh, what you said there. I mean, just the leadership and empathy are like two things that go like really, really hand in hand. Like you have to understand the person that you're leading and in order to get them like to, to reach their potential, right. Figure out what makes them tick and then push them. Exactly. And I, I mean, humility is the biggest thing of throughout the entire experience, but basically there's one sentence I would tell myself probably be something along the lines with, I've gotten pretty lucky along the way. I mean, with every experience, every single thing that I've come across, but I think the biggest thing is to be so hungry, no matter how lucky you get, be so hungry to get to a next level, a new level and keep getting better. And no matter what happens, keep going at it, keep going after it. You could always get better. And that's kind of what we've talked about the entire time is you could always get better. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward is right. I love that. When I was healthy at PSV, I was found myself talking to one of the men's coaches and I'm just pretty social. And he was like, yeah, I just got into the U S with my family for three weeks. And I'm like, Oh, like, that's awesome. He coached the U 19s and was a little bit with the first team. I'm like, Oh, like, like, what's your name? And he's like, Oh, Van Nistelrooy. And I was like, Oh, like, I was like, awesome. Like, where did you play? Like, did you play? Where did you play? Yeah. He's like, I played at Real and just United and then here at PSV. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, what's your name? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, oh, okay. Like, whatever. I go and tell my team. They're like, you're a dumbass. Like, you didn't know who he was. I'm like, no, I didn't know. Like, He probably loved that though. Like, he probably loved that you were like first person ever. This was like the budding of a great friendship. So, (laughs) so then I break my leg and he sends me a text and he's like, Hey, like, just want to see how you're doing because it was, because there are so many people at the game and like the club is like pretty small, even though like you guys are like, say it's big, like the environment where we train at, like everything's small, everyone knows each other. So like mm. everyone knew that I was the American, the, the first American on the women's side that broke her leg and that everybody heard it and saw it and the ambulance came, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he was like, Hey, like, just want to check in. How are you doing? Um, and he's like, did Ajax send you anything? And I'm like, no, um, what, what do you mean send me anything? Like, and then, 
And then they had sent like two days later, they had sent like flowers or whatever. And he said he had called, he had called whoever he called at the club and was like, yo, you guys need to be like more appropriate and like send something like wow. player broker, like whatever. Um, so uh, that was cool. And then he always was just checking in and be like, hey, do you need anything? And in the beginning, and the women's team has come a huge way, but in the beginning, um, when I was there, they, we just saw regular doctors. Like we had our physio, um, but when we had, to, we didn't see the men's doctors basically. Mm-hmm. Like we just went, like I went to the hospital, I saw a hospital doctor and he was like, you're going to be out for the rest of the season when he didn't even know how long the season was. Right. You know, like he was just like, okay, you broke your leg, like throw it in a cast and see how it goes. Like, mm-hmm. let's just wait, wait for it to heal. And of course that's not my MO. So I was like, well, I want to see a sports doctor. I want to see the men's doctor. Why wouldn't I see the same doctor as the men's team? Um, so I kept pushing for a couple weeks, like two week and a half on our team. And, you know, like everyone's a little bit hesitant around, um, the men's team because it's the men's team. And on the women's side, you're like, okay, like we're allowed to have this, we're allowed to have that, but let's not step on anybody's toes. And I'm like, well, let's step on everybody's toes because I'm sitting here with a broken leg. Like, you know, like I'm the one in a cast up to my hip, can't leave my room because like I, so I need to see the doctor. So I called him and I was like, Hey, like, I really want to see the men's doctor. Like, I don't really think that it's fair that, you know, I can't see the same sports doctor as the men and no joke. He texts me back probably a half hour later. He goes, you have an appointment in two hours. And I'm like, let's go. And Rude then this and I saw the doctor, he was awesome. I got back in five and a half months, like definitely pushed the, pushed the boundaries. And I played like three games after that. And Hell yeah. And I quit. Rude is the plug. Wow. So Yeah. One thing that you guys probably can relate to also is, and I tell a lot of the the girls that I work with, if they're trying to play overseas or go to the NWSL, is that if you, let's say you get into a situation and you're there three or four months and you're questioning like your love for the game or you're questioning like why you're playing um, and you're not enjoying it, odds are it's the situation you're in and not necessarily that you're not enjoying the game anymore. So mm. you need to change your situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. Because a lot of times people are like, okay, I don't like this anymore. I want to quit. But like, that's, that's not, most of the time, that's not the case. It's like, you just need to change the environment you're in. You need to find a team that better fits you, find a location that better fits you. Um, So not to be afraid to change that. And um, what is, what is the, the meaning behind that name? So the meaning actually comes from when I was 11, 12, when I used to skate with um, my neighbors and we would just kind of, mess around with like the idea of having a skate shop and what we'd call it. And I remember I said, I'd call it the skate kitchen because I used to watch, I learned how to skate on YouTube actually. That's where I learned. Oh wow. Okay. Um, Cause I'd like look up how to do stuff. And I just noticed um, like, I would also look up girl skateboarders just to try to connect to something. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in the comments, it'd always be like, Oh, this girl should be in the kitchen. And all those snarky that overused um, comments. So then I, I kind of was like, Oh, it'd be really funny if I just, called the skate shop the skate kitchen that's how the name like actually came about but then uh, when i was 17 yeah when i was 17 i i started skating with this one girl nina well i was 15 but i kind of moved to the city when i was 17 and met all the other girls and uh we wanted to make an instagram and uh, i was like why don't we just name it the skate kitchen and they liked it that's how it really came about it wasn't really like we didn't have any other name so no definitely i think it's just like any anywhere you go, I feel like you got to you gotta in, indulge in the culture. 
first mm-hmm. thing first. Gotta indulge. And um, one of the biggest things that in Mongolia you need to indulge is, is the language. The language is it's it's actually the key to opening that that country for you as a foreigner. If you can get into the language, maybe at least some words. You're trying, make an effort every day, and you're just using the language. The it it would make that experience probably ten times better for you. Yeah. Um, mm. And and in I terms mean. in terms of the culture, sorry, sorry, in terms of the culture, I feel like, yeah, you you their culture is very strong and it's very rich, you mm-hmm. know. And if you study their 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 people with a lot of pride because they conquered the world, right? Yeah. They they conquered they at one point in time they they ruled the world and they still believe that a lot of their people has uh, uh, Genghis Khan's blood. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and I felt like I heard it from people as well, but like in America we have like there a lot of patriotism as Americans, and like mm. in other places they don't other countries don't really have that. But Mongolia mm. I feel is even stronger than the American patriotism. Mm. Like they're yeah. extremely proud. Do you see a lot of, of Mongolian flags flag. and stuff like this yeah. around or? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not that it's, type of preacher. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not, not it's like different. It's like an internal thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's very, very pure. Like I'm almost. Mongolian, like I'm Mongolian yeah. and I could, you know, I'm, I'm strong. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, also, I just wanted to say, man, like to you guys, man, like, yo, you guys continue doing what you're doing on and off the field, especially on the field. Um, yeah, you guys are doing amazing work. And as I said before, like you've broken that stereotype. You've put yourself in a different stratosphere in terms of like what you can accomplish coming out of college, coming out uh, like for dudes who just want to like continue playing football you guys are definitely like the benchmark and yeah man congrats bro just keep going man keep going no no limits to where you guys can be in the future thank you man appreciate that man so one of my favorite quotes is uh the man in the arena i don't know if you guys are familiar with it um from theodore roosevelt yeah but uh basically it's no i don't know it no no please we should should, please please enlighten me we should read it it's it's pretty long um i do have it memorized but i'm kind of on the spot i (laughs) i can try my best so it's it's um it's not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better uh the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly who errs who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows, in the end, the triumph of great achievement? And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be amongst those cold and timid souls that know neither victory nor defeat? Hell yeah. Wow. Let's go. <laughs> All right, let's end it there. I got to go run for time. <laughs> Yeah. No. So is that is that something that's like, you know, really helped you on this journey? Yeah. Moral of the story, like, just don't be afraid to fail. Like, just right. 
put yourself out there, like go for it. No regrets. And like, whatever, if you fail, like my career is defined by failure, you know, like those moments of failure, like in the moment they were the worst thing in the, like it felt like the world was ending, but like at the end of the day, like they were the best thing that could have ever happened to me. So yeah, yeah, just kind of embrace failure and, you know, don't, don't let it stop you. Just keep, keep pushing. Like, the biggest thing I would say is like, don't take things for granted. Like it's so dumb, but like the, we talked about having your head in the, the next place. I always just had my head early on in the next place. And what changed that was really bad injuries. Like when I broke my ankle and I missed a whole year, you realize like, and I didn't even know what I could do next. You're like, shit, like maybe I should really appreciate this. Last thing with Altona, when I got the, it's called Schambein syndrome or osteitis pubis like you now playing like you appreciate it you appreciate where you are where you were Mm. back then like when I was 20 I was just like trying to get to the hottest place instead of like let me try to like do this the right way because we I was just a New York hothead at that point just like let me let me I think I have a talent you know people kind of tell me I'm good let me take it instead of like okay let me do step by step by step because the only thing like if you do it the right way it'll work there is no answer. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like if you do do it the right way and you go step by step slowly, when you get out of college, you can make it up there. Yeah. If you do the bouncing around thing, like you can get there, but it won't be secure. Like you'll be going contract to contract. You won't really have like a strong platform to build on. Cause if you went like sixth, fifth, fifth, fourth, fourth, third, like if at the, by the third, like it doesn't work, you can still have fourth, fourth. Like you, you still had a, a good resume instead of like, yeah half a year here, half a year here, half a year here, half a year here. And people are like, well, who is this player? They don't have a full story on you. Right. You always have to explain yourself and you always have to like mm-hmm. go into a trial and do well, rather than like having a strong flow of development. You have a lot of games to go on, but the biggest, yeah. Another thing is like, you're playing as many games as you can. Cause that's the only way you'll get better and good game. And like, don't settle for like, people want to reach when they're early young to like, I want to get to Manchester United. But you don't know, like, if you were at 18, for example, and you got lucky and you signed a Manchester United, you won't play for Manchester United for, like, four years. Just, like, if you go to Wake Forest and you're not Wake Forest, bro, you will sit on the bench for three years. And that is not what you want. That will not get you better. Yeah. Like, go to a place where you can play and then see what happens. Because that's mm-hmm. where your level is, right? That's where you'll find out your level is. If you go to a place where you can't play, you don't know anything about yourself. You haven't been tested. You haven't shown, like, all right, just, like, when we got to Germany, obviously all of us were kind of a little too good for Oberliga. When we got to Regionalliga, that was our level to see. Like, all right, let's see what we're really about. You know, this mm-hmm. is like the this is where we can show ourselves. This is the testing part. This is where we are. And like get as many games on as that level and see if you can slowly start to bridge up. Cause like going like this, and then you get a, a trial, this club, jump up, go back, lose your ties. It'll never work. Yeah. And don't burn bridges. Mm. Big thing. Don't burn bridges. Like do things the right way. Like tell people to their face when you want to, if things aren't working out, don't just ghost them. And then like have to like restart a text message, like three months in advance to tell them that they're hope they're doing well to know that like in three months, you'll have to ask them a question. Yeah. Like just keep things open and be friendly. Like mm. most people, like they'll use them, use their contact as much as they can and then ghost the guy instead of like, 
And then, okay, in a year, you're going to need me, right? So they start early and they start texting me early and I know the game. But rather than doing that, let's just be open and honest with each other. Mm, right. Talk to me from the beginning or like, I'll talk to, a, I shouldn't have just fucked over so many agents instead of like being honest and, you know, maybe even sacrificing a little bit. Right. And then you have those contacts when you do. is sponsored by ourselves. Also, Kung Fitness and Merchant Designs, baby. Follow us on Instagram at footwork underscore podcast. Twitter is at footwork podcast. YouTube and Facebook, just check out footwork podcast, search it. Email us if you need anything, any questions at footworkpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, plug, plug, pass. Tell your parents, Amazon delivery guy, mailman, I don't know who, just tell them. Like, subscribe, review, all of it helps. Danke.